We, we have entered a, a section of the Gospel of Mark that, that's just my favorite. It's just, it's just an amazing um, piece. And we, we talked about it. Really what the Gospel writers do. All four Gospel writers do it. They spend a certain amount of time studying and, and teaching us the first 33 years, 11 months, and 3 weeks of Jesus' life. 33 years, 11 months, and 3 weeks, and then they hit the brakes. And then they spend a ton of time on the last week of Jesus' life. In John's Gospel, 22 chapters, at chapter 12, at the end of chapter 12, he stops in beginning in 13. He spends 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 20, 21, on the last week of Jesus' life and then post-resurrection. And Mark is no different. We were in the beginning of Mark chapter, chapter, where's the triumphal entry? 11. The beginning of Mark chapter 11. We saw the triumphal entry, which is the Sunday before Jesus was going to rise from the dead. One week prior to the resurrection was the triumphal entry where Jesus rode faithfully into Jerusalem on a donkey. And we've been following this last week of Jesus' life um, very detailed. Last week, we got to the point where he, he reached the Garden of Gethsemane just a couple days. So Sunday, he rode in triumphantly on a donkey, prophesied in Daniel chapter 9, March 14th, 445 B.C., the exact day that Daniel prophesied Messiah would come in riding on a donkey. Then Monday, remember, he was back in the temple overturning the money t- changers. And then, and then we have him um, where he was being um, on Tuesday, the rest of Monday and Tuesday, being examined by the high priest and by the Sadducees and the Pharisees as the Lamb of God had to be without blemish. And, and he went through all these series of tests and questions and, 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 and he passed them all because he was perfect and without blemish. And then when he ended that little series there of, of being tested as the Lamb of God who was going to take away the sins of the world that was perfect and without blame, he went with his disciples onto the um, Mount of Olives, and they asked him such a faithful question. We spent the last two weeks studying his answer. You guys remember what the question they asked was? When will be the end? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus had just got through telling them that the temple was going to get destroyed. And in their Jewish minds, the temple being destroyed was the end of the world. It was everything, and it was who they are. It was their identity, and without a temple, obviously, that meant the world was coming to an end. And so they stopped Jesus, and they said, Jesus, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of the coming and the end of the age? And Jesus gives them what we call the Olivet Discourse. We spent the last two weeks studying Jesus' answer about what was going to happen as he sat on the Mount of Olives overlooking the Temple Mount where he would have taught that. That brings us to where we are today. Chapter 14, the longest chapter that Mark writes. Mark was like a get-her-done guy. You'll find this word in the Gospel of Mark immediately, and then, and then. He was just kind of the young gun who was, you know, more to an audience of people that didn't need the Jewish history and a lot of background. You know, no, no doctrine. Jesus never really taught doctrine. The Gospels don't teach doctrine. You have to go to the epistles to get doctrine and doctrine of salvation and angels and demons and life. And all those things are all taught in the epistles. Basically, the Gospels just record what Jesus did and what he said. And and so Mark, who's who's just kind of, again, a young writer who's really interested just in the things. and, And very seldomly did Mark even record big speeches that Jesus gave besides 13 in the Olivet Discourse. He more just just recorded the narrative. So here in chapter 14, the longest chapter that he writes, it begins this last 48 hours, 72 hours of Jesus's life. Now, I want to preface just by saying, um, traditionally, we have Jesus who dies on a Friday, right? And we have Good Friday, 
And that, you know, some of many of the churches recognize Good Friday, and we all know that Good Friday is the day we celebrate Jesus dying on the cross. And then we have Easter Sunday, the day he rose from the grave. But there is um, a possibility, I'll just throw it out there. It's not important, to be honest. What's important is that Jesus died on the cross, he rose again, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. And that we know him personally and intimately, and that we understand that we're sinners, and we need a Savior. And we have this amazing opportunity to have this perfect Father who loves us so much that we can have this amazing relationship with. And that, and that, that we need Jesus to, for salvation and to get to heaven. And, and so, but again, there's, for me personally, I kind of tend to lean this way a little bit. But the possibility that Jesus actually didn't die, as traditionally we say on a Friday, that he actually died on a Thursday. And, and, and if he died on a Thursday, it helps you get the three days and three nights that are prophesied. It's kind of hard to get three days and three nights out of a Friday crucifixion. And so there are some people much smarter than I that can, can add from Friday to Sunday and come up with three days and three nights. I can't. So I like a Thursday crucifixion. But in order for that to happen, there would have to be some special circumstances, which we're going to see in this chapter were present and were there. And regardless whether he died on a Thursday or Friday, um, he died and rose again, like I said. But as we progress through this week, this brings us then to what must have been Wednesday night, because um, he would have been with the, the, the disciples in the upper room in the Last Supper on a, on a Wednesday night, because that night he left. The last, chat, last verse of John 14, what does it say? Last verse of John, I'm sorry, John 13. That's why you guys didn't know the answer, because I was kind of wrong. Last verse of John chapter 13. Let us arise and go from here. So the last verse, Jesus is leaving the upper room. He just got done washing the disciples' feet. Um, he just got done instituting the Lord's Supper. And the last verse, John 13, let us arise and go from here. John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. As he goes through and they leave the upper room and they travel into the, the Garden of Gethsemane. It would have been at night. And there at night is where Judas Iscariot would have showed up and betrayed Jesus. At night, Wednesday night. Then Wednesday night... Late at night, after the Passover, he would have been um, put into a series of illegal trials. I think there was up to six different places and trials that Jesus went in this night. Sometime between, let's call it 10 o'clock at night and 7 o'clock the next morning. Okay, From Pontius Pilate to Agrippa to Pilate to um, the, the high priest's house and these different places where Jesus went on this journey. Okay? But, but without a doubt, by early the next morning, which let's just call it Thursday morning, would have been Jesus in the praetorium. He would have been in um, the, that place we saw yesterday. Remember on the map of Jerusalem on the upper right-hand corner, what would be our upper right-hand corner on the northwest part of the, the, the citadel there, would have been the Antonio Fortress where Jesus was scourged and whipped by the Romans. And so he would have been there. He would have traveled down the Via Dolorosa, sometimes, say, between 7 and 9 a.m., because he was put on the cross as needed to be to fulfill prophecy by 9 a.m. He was on the cross at 9 a.m. At 12 a.m., the earthquake happened. At 3 p.m., Jesus died. At the very moment that the, that the priest, the high priest in the temple, not far from where he was, would have been sacrificing the, 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 the lamb that, that was in the temple there, that was the Passover lamb official Passover lamb that the high priest would have been slicing the throat of exactly at three o'clock as Jesus gave up his last breath. 
So just a little bit of timeline for, for where we are. And it says, because it begins by saying after two days, which kind of gives us that time frame. And so, after two days, it was the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. Did you guys catch that? Passover and unleavened bread. What does that mean? Two different Jewish feasts, but they're back to back. They're, they're, they're all within the same, um, celebrated within the same time frame. Okay, so there's there's seven major Jewish feasts, and each one is a prophetic model. Fascinating study. Pastor Bob, who's teaching that um, Bible college class for us, he did it two years ago um, on the seven feasts of Israel and how they they're a prophetic model. The first four have been fulfilled in in Jesus Christ dying on a cross, being buried and rising again the third day and the and the Holy Spirit given on Pentecost. The last three are the fall feasts, and those are yet future. The rapture, or the second coming of Christ, the rapture, the second coming of Christ, and the millennial reign fulfills the seven Jewish feasts, and that's in the smallest nutshell you've ever seen of that. But, but Jesus fulfilled the first three of Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits in, in his death. And so we have these two Jewish feasts. And it says, um, so the, the Pharisees, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. So they didn't want to, um, this to happen during the, the holy days. And, and did they get their wish? They did not, right? Because Jesus was actually crucified on Passover. And that's why the high priest came to Pontius Pilate. And they said, will you please take the bodies of, of these, these crucified criminals? Will you take them down? Because it's the Passover and it's kind of like a bad omen on our Passover cer- ceremony for you to have these dead bodies. And you guys remember the story. So they sent the soldiers up to the, the, the cross where the, the two thieves and Jesus in the middle were crucified to break the legs of the thieves. Now, if they were sent them up to kill them, why, why did the soldiers break their legs? I mean, there's things that... So some... some crazy, I don't know what you call this guy, but somebody in history, some Roman guy, invented a way to torture people that is highly effective. And somehow he was able to figure out, you know, hundreds of years before Christ, the Romans were using crucifixion, a, a way that, that would torture and expose people for days on end without them dying. And the way that a Roman crucifix would work is, you know, we, we see pictures and, and they're, they're definitely over the years was different things and, and none the same. Sometimes you see them with ropes and nails. We know that Jesus had three nails in a cross, right? They had one in each hand and his feet overlapped one in there because the Bible tells us that. But Roman crucifixion was designed in such a way that, that you would nail the hands and the feet to, to the cross. And there was actually a little stump that you could rest your, 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 your butt on that, that would give you a little bit of rest. Have you guys ever had a cramp in your, in your muscles, calf, anything? Nobody? Anybody? Wake up in the middle of the night like, ah! You're hitting your wife and she's trying to go eat you Gatorade and bananas, but it ain't going to help. So that, that same phenomenon of your muscles cramping, Jesus would have been experiencing or someone dying on a, on a cross would experience that same sensation through their whole body nonstop. And that's what the Bible describes. And you have these, your bones that are, or your muscles that are aching and, and, and clinging and, and contracting. 
And, and as you're there and you're on this stump, you can, get, you can get a break from that muscle contraction and that severe pain that's, that's rushing through your body. But what you can't do while you're sitting on the stump is breathe. And so you would have to lift yourself up on top of those, with those nails in your hands. And when you got to this position, it would open your lungs and you could, you could breathe. But, but the pain was so, so overbearing from every muscle in your body and your shoulders and everything cramped up that you finally couldn't handle that pain anymore and you'd slump back down. And while you were slumped down, the pain would relieve temporarily, but you couldn't breathe. <clears throat> And then you'd pick yourself up to breathe. Some could last on the cross this way for several days. If they were placed on the cross healthy, they could, they could go through this excruciating pain for days before they died. Birds would be landing on their shoulders and pecking at them as they were alive there trying to, to fight for breath. And so when the soldiers came to break the legs of the soldiers, the purpose was with broken legs upon a cross, you couldn't pick yourself up and breathe, and there with broken legs, you'd be stuck in this position, and you would suffocate very, very quickly. And so they broke the legs of the thieves on both sides of Jesus. And then as they came to break the legs of Jesus, we, we have a little bit of problem right here. Because if they were successful in breaking Jesus' legs, we can all go home because the Bible's not true, and the prophecies failed. And if one prophecy fails, then they all fail. And, and, and there's a prophecy that says not one of his bones would be broken. And so as the soldier went to break Jesus' legs, it was like, he stopped right there. And someone said, hey, stop. You don't need to break his legs. He's already dead. And the soldier said, well, I'm going to make sure because it's, I'm going to be on that cross instead of him if I, if I mess this up. It's my life. And he took his spear and he jabbed it in Jesus' side to make sure he was dead. And what does the Bible say? Blood and water came out. Blood and water is a, is a medical term. It's a, it's a, it's a way that, a, a scientific medical way you die called hematoglobin. And in that, your heart literally um, explodes. Your heart literally dies. You literally die of a broken heart. And when that happens, when that phenomenon happens, your body fills with blood and water. And that's how Jesus died. That was a cause of death, a broken heart. And, when, and when, the, when the soldier stabbed him, blood and water came out. But, but the prophecy was fulfilled. Not a bone in his body was broken. Uplifting Sunday for Father's Day, huh? I'll get you guys joy, joy for you. Get out of here. So it says in verse 3, And being in Bethany as the house of Simon the leper, and he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly. Somebody, somebody say very costly. Oil flasked and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragment oil wasted? The other gospel tells us, of course, that was Judas Iscariot. And the other gospel writer tells us he wasn't worried about the poor as, it, as he claimed, but he held the money bag and he was stealing. And that was money that, that he could have stole. And so he was more concerned about the, losing the money because he was stealing it. And he said, for it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. So 300 denarii that he gave credit for this bottle of oil is about a year's salary um, in that day. So anywhere between thirty-five dollars and $60,000 worth of, of fragrant oil that she poured over Jesus' head. Not a bad gift, huh? What kind of perfume do you guys use, lady? What's popular today? Who uses perfume? Somebody help me. What do you use? You don't know the name of it? 
Exclamation? No. Come on, Shane. That's, that's Walmart stuff, man. You're going to be in trouble. Nobody? Versace? When I was a kid, it was Drakkar. Have you heard of Drakkar? That's what, if you're, if you're like anybody that was cool at a party and I was a kid, you had to have Drakkar on, you know, and thankfully my wife is totally allergic to perfumes and, and colognes. And so, you know, when we first started hanging out, she was like, oh my gosh, you can't wear that stuff. And I was so mad. I hated it. I couldn't wear cologne anymore. And oh, what a blessing, man. All these years and not have to waste money on cologne and stinking because I wanted to smell good. And, um, so, so anyways, they, she has this costly oil, very costly, right? And, and, the, and, you know, in those days, I don't think they had necessarily Bank of America or an online portfolio where you keep all your money. And, and it was very commonplace that, that, that you would place your money into some investment, whether it be coin, whether it be gold, whether it be silver. And one of those commodities that was, that was easily kept as a savings was, was costly oils and, and, anoint, and perfumes. And so she had what was a, a year's worth of savings. Now, whatever you guys take, make in one year, is that, is that how much you have in your savings account? Yeah, not me. So she, she, had, she, was, she was doing well. She had enough savings. She had this savings account with this, with this oil. And, and, and normally it's a drop. It's a, it's a little bit of, of a gesture as you, as you would give it to a dignitary or somebody in your home that you would uh, anoint them with oil. And, and, and here she takes the entire bottle and she pours it on Jesus' head. And of course, those disciples that are motivated by greed, Judas Iscariot, he chimes in and he says, oh, what is she doing? We could have sold that. And, you know, we have people like that today, right? And, you know, um, you know we have, we've had so many people say, oh, you have hom- homeless and hungry people right here in America. Why are you guys sending money to Africa? Well, in Africa, 80% of the children's parents are dead from 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 AIDS, both of them. Over eighty percent of the world's orphans live in Africa, and I, I don't have to defend that, but just just that idea that you know these kind of ungodly. Um, well, what are you doing? Well, I'm not doing anything, but I don't like what you're doing. Well, I like what I'm doing better than what you're doing. If what you're doing is nothing. And, and, and so the, the disciples, you know, Judah, led by Judas. And then the rest of the disciples chimed in. I don't necessarily know that was her heart. Judas made a point. And they, they trusted Judas up to this point. And they, they thought Judas was a cool guy. And it was, was, they didn't even know, even after he left, when he betrayed Jesus, they thought he was going to take care of some business for Jesus. Didn't realize that he was leaving to betray Jesus. So the disciples chimed in. But Jesus makes a point here. Let's see what Jesus says about this. Jesus said in verse 7 or 6, But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. And just just to start with that, like, why why do you trouble her? Why why do you worry about what she's doing? She's, She's just let her and me deal with this, work this out. Like, she's done what she wants to do to bless me. Don't, don't look at another brother or sister in Christ and, and be upset because they gave something to the church or the Lord or, or, or desired to do something for the Lord or gave their time to the Lord or did a project. I mean, she says, leave her alone. This is something she's doing for me. And then, and then he said, for you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may, you may do good to them. But me, you do not have always. And some people have a problem that Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. But... It's just a simple fact that Jesus is stating. And it's been true since the time of Jesus to today, and it's going to be true until he returns. And it was no statement that had anything to do with not taking care of the poor, because the Bible tells us that we are to do those things. But Jesus was making a point that 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 work can be done in a week from now. 
But in, in three days from now or two days from now, you won't have me anymore. And you will not have this opportunity that she's had to do what she's going to do. And it says in verse 8, she has done what she could. And she has come before to anoint my body for burial. Again, Jesus predicting his, his death. But what the woman did was she poured $60,000 worth of oil on Jesus' head. Not only that, but it, it was her sustenance. It was her everything. Her ability to have a dowry, to get married, to have business, to do life. Everything that was valuable in her life and that gave her potential to have anything of worth, she just poured on Jesus' head. It's gone. It's not coming back. So the next day, the next week, it's gone. And yet she was all in. She was sold out for Jesus Christ. And, and I think there's a lesson. And Jesus commends her for it. Just like he commended the widow with her two mites a couple chapters ago. In that she gave more than all the rich people. She gave it all. She was all in. And, and it's just a lesson in our lives, you guys. There, you, can't, you can't outgive God. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about with your life, with your heart, with everything that you have. You give it to the Lord. What, you, you know what Jesus says? Let's look what he says. In verse number nine, assuredly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial for her. Now, guess what? Last time I checked, 2016, Jan- about to be July 2016, June of 2016. And we're still talking about this lady, an actual event in human history. And this woman poured oil on Jesus's head. And here we are today telling her story. And Jesus said her story would be told wherever the gospel goes. And so, you know, what, what do you think what her life was like a, a week or a month or two months after she made this sacrifice to Jesus? Was it worse? You guys aren't sure? I don't really know. That's a tough question. Can you ask it again? Was, was, was her life worse? No. Somebody say no. no. <laughs> she it was not worse, right? Her life was, and we can look at that story and we can see someone who just gave it all to Jesus and understand they were blessed as a result. And then in our own lives, we can go the very next second and struggle to make any sacrifice to serve God, do anything that's going to cost us something. It's easy to give God something that don't cost you nothing. Try giving God something that's going to cost you, something that you're going to miss. You know, the very heart of obedience is doing what you don't want to do. I tell my kids all the time. I try to explain to them all the time. You know, they're real obedient if I say, hey, in, in the fridge is a brand new thing of ice cream I bought. Go make yourself a bowl of ice cream. Oh, yeah. And they think, oh, I'm listening to dad and doing what I'm told, you know. And I say, hey, when you're done, go outside and cut the grass. Oh, cut the grass. I'm like, forget it. They're rolling on the floor. And I'm like, what? Your, your, your obedience is when you do what you don't want to do and you do it with the right heart. That's an obedience. That, that's, the, that's the true nature of being obedient to God. And sometimes God tells us to do things we don't want to do or we don't understand. Maybe not even that we don't want to do, we just don't understand. But true obedience, there's sacrifice. And it's, it's having a good heart and a, and, and a desire when we don't want to do it. And so here for this woman, she just makes this amazing sacrifice. The Holy Spirit records it for us. Let it encourage us this morning. Let, let it encourage you and me to be like this woman, just sold out for Jesus Christ. All in. Amen? And then in verse 10, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. This guy sold his soul for 30 pieces of silver. 
So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. And now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare for you that we may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. So this, this was very unique because a man was carrying a pitcher of water. Men didn't carry pitchers of water. And, and so it, what kind of sign is it, you know, if you, if you go into this city and, you know, Jesus said, you, you, you see a man carrying a pitcher of water, we may just look over that like, well, how's that going to help him? You know, like, because it was very unique for a man to carry a pitcher of water, as we know. In, that, in the orphanage in Malawi, last time Pastor Gerald was there, and it's the same there too. Those pictures like you see on Nat Geo with the African women in that big wrap and carrying those, those things of water on their head. That, that's, that's real life in 2016 in Africa. Carrying water is women's work. And Gerald was there at the orphanage and the women were carrying the water and there were some teenage boys that were there. And Pastor Gerald said to the teenage boys, just not thinking, just out of sincerity, like, why don't you go help the women carry the water? And the boys looked at him like, <laughs> they thought he was kidding. They didn't culturally, they could not understand the concept that he was really suggesting that they would go help carry the water. Like, we don't carry water. That's women's work. And I was thinking to myself, where did we go wrong, man? How did, how, how did we mess this up so bad? But the women didn't, the men didn't carry water, the women did. But one of the things here, one of the kind of thoughts maybe, maybe here is that, which is true, that the Jews have different sects as they do today, just like even as in the Christian church, right? We have different sects, tribes, Baptist, Calvinist, Arminius, Methodist, Presbyterian, non-denominational well one of the sects of the of the of the jews are called the essenes and in the essene part of town it, it it was common for men to carry water and that's a historical fact and so it's very possible that jesus would have celebrated his passover the last passover in the essene section of of, of jerusalem when you go to jerusalem today it's exactly the same it, the whole city is broken up into different sections. The Ethiopian Christians have this little piece of the old city when you look at the big map. And the Christians are here, and the, this sect is here, and, 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 and all over the, the Russian Orthodox. And so in the area where the Essenes were, the reason why I like this, this kind of theory is because um, the Essenes do have special Passovers and, and would have celebrated on a Thursday and, and it would fit more the model of Jesus dying on a Thursday. So Jesus was there. He was carrying, or he, they went for him to carry water. They found him. And it says, whenever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared there. Make ready for us. We, you can still go today when you go and visit Israel. Um, we're going in October of 2018. If you if you want to go to the Holy Land, if that's on your heart, in your mind, start saving now. The trip is about $5,500 for an eight-day tour of the Holy Land and would uh, love to go. So keep that in your mind. But you can go and uh, there in Israel, we can see this place where the upper room was. And then he will show you a large upper room furnished. In verse 16, so his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he has said. Oh, surprise, surprise. They found it just as the Lord said. And they prepared the Passover. And in the evening he came with the twelve. So the, the disciples went and they began to prepare the Passover. And that evening Jesus came with the twelve. And so the, the Passover or what they, would have, what they would have done this night is they would have had what's called a, a Seder dinner. 
or the Seder meal. It's, it's celebrated from and introduced when, when the 10th plague of Egypt came, right? And, and God said, I'm going to send the angel of death and he's going to enter every house and he's going to kill every firstborn animal, beast, human. Nothing is going to survive your firstborn. Goldfish, dog, cat, human, firstborn, it's going to die unless... You take the blood of the lamb that you sacrificed and you place it on the, over the, the two different doorposts of the house, the intersecting doorposts on the corner where you would have been, it would have shown up in the shape of a cross. And it will run down and it will fill the, the basin at the bottom and you're to take it and you're to, to spread it. And, and I'm going to enter every house in Egypt and those that have the blood of the lamb on the door, which is a representative of Christ, is I'm going to pass over that house and I'm going to go into the next house. And if it's not there, I'm going to enter. And that's where the term Passover comes from. The angel of the Lord would pass over. And so and then and then right after that, in Exodus chapter 12, 13, God, God prescribes the exact way that they should celebrate this Passover meal. And then the angel of the Lord comes in. And so to this day, it's celebrated. And there's this whole process, and it's really fascinating. You can actually go online, and you can look up Seder dinner, and you could see a traditional Jewish Seder, and it's, it's all this ceremony through the night of this meal that takes place. It revolves around four different cups of wine and three different matzah breads and, and, and three different um, eatings of those and, and the bitter herbs as a part of the ceremony. You can actually go, um, and, and, and now it's called Christ in the Passover, which is super amazing, where, where Messianic Jews have taken, and they teach Jesus, which is really what's intended, as they go through in every part of the Passover meal that represents Jesus Christ. But they would have taken the... So this is what they were going to celebrate. It would not have been completely strange, because Jesus would have celebrated this same exact Passover with his disciples two other times, and he would have celebrated in his life 32 other times. As, as, as a young Jewish boy growing up and celebrating Passover every, every year. What do you think it was like when Jesus was like four or five? And part of this, the Passover service is they take the, this, which is a matzah. A matzah, this is the cracker that we use here in our church for communion. And, 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 and in most in every other denomination, non-denominational church or church where they use unleavened bread. And you guys, when you see it, it's mostly already broken. But part of the Seder meal is you take three pieces of unbroken matzahs and, and you place them into a linen cloth. And the second one or the middle one, you break it and then place it into a linen cloth. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Was, was Jesus broken and then wrapped in a cloth and placed in a tomb? And then you take it and you, you hide it somewhere in the house, kind of like our tradition of hiding an Easter egg basket and the kids have to go find it. Well, that's part of the Passover thing is you, the second bread that, that, and, and there's three. Does that sound from, does that represent anything to you guys? There's three father, son, and Holy spirit. And the middle one is the one that you break and you hide and the kids have to go find. What do you think it was like when Jesus was like five and he, you know, they're running around. Well, first of all, like it's who finds the Easter egg basket first. Like if Jesus and his brothers and his cousins are at the meal, like that's not fair. Like Jesus is going to find it. And, and so, but, but it was a picture of Jesus. And if you ask the Jews today, why, why do you do that part of the, the Passover? What does it represent? And they might tell you things, but the bottom line is they don't know. They're not really sure because they don't get it. It's about Jesus. It's a picture of Jesus. And then, and then whatever kid finds it, he brings it back to the father. And, and there's a little reward that goes with finding that middle piece of bread. And so this is the same ceremony that Jesus' disciples, the Seder meal, that they would have been celebrating. 
Except for this year, it just would have been a little bit different as in Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And for the first time in human history, from um, Moses, which would have been coincidentally 1,500 years before Christ. You know, I think Moses, we find him in the, in the end of um, Genesis, the beginning of Exodus, and we think it's like million years before Christ. But really, if you go back to 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 Moses, it's only 1,500 years from the end of Genesis through the whole Old Testament. But for that time, they would have celebrated this Passover. And when they'd get to that point, do this in remembrance, they would say, do this in remembrance of Moses and, and what he did. And that lamb that was slain to cover the sins. And for the first time in this Passover meal, in this point in history, Jesus changed it forevermore to where we as Christians, we say, now do this in remembrance of me. And it's about Jesus. The, the matzos, when we take the matzos, the, the full piece of matzos, it has, um, you guys see these vertical lines that are in it? What do those remind us of? The stripes that, that are placed upon his back. I want you to make a note, Isaiah 53. Read that today. It's a prophecy of the Messiah. It says, by his stripes we are healed. It has little holes in the bread. What do those remind us of? Remind us of the holes that they placed in his hands and in his feet. Before we take the, the matzah and we, we serve it for communion, we break it. And Jesus did the same thing. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. This represents my body broken for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, Jesus also took the cup after supper saying, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so Jesus institutes first time here in Mark chapter 14 the, the, the Lord institutes the Lord's Supper um, we're just going to read through you guys a couple more comments as we read through to verse 26 we'll stop at verse 26 and verse 18 it says and now as they sat and ate Jesus said assuredly I say to you one who eats with me will betray me and they began to be sorrowful and say to him by, one by one is it I Lord and another said is it I and so he answered and said to them it is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. Now, they all probably would have been dish, dipping with him in the dish. It was part of the Passover meal. You dip the, 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 in there. And, and, and no doubt the heartbroken of the people who, um, you know, probably understood. As they said, is it I? Is it I? Well, they knew it wasn't them. Right? Like, they, they know they're not. Judas is the one who's already been down to the Sanhedrin and, and made a deal to betray Jesus. He knows it's him. But just that reality, that understanding in each one of their hearts, that sincerity that, hey, I'm capable of sin. I'm capable of blowing it. You know, I, 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 one of the things that, that, that helps me as a pastor to live is I have to always understand I am just as capable of falling into any major sin as anybody else. And I have to be on my guard. And I have to be in watch. And too many times around the nation, you know, pastors and leaders who have great influence, they, they, they fall into some sin. They end up hearing a story, took off with the secretary and the church fund, and, and, it, and it affects and it hurts the body of Christ, and it gives the enemies of God an occasion to blaspheme, the Bible says. And, and you have to understand that, uh, that we're all capable. And I think the disciples, there was just a sincerity in their heart as they went around the room and, and with a little bit of heartbroken said, Lord, is it I? Like, I don't remember, but I know that... I'm not perfect. And if I'm not careful, I, I could end up in that sin. And maybe it's a prophecy of something future. And Lord, is it I? Is it I? Even Peter, is it I? Eventually he's going to go and say, oh, not me, Lord. Peter fashion. But here they, they just have this, this, this heart. And, and we got to have that heart. And he goes on in 20. And he said to them, is one who dips in the dish with me. And the son of man indeed goes 
just as is written of him. But woe to the man whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for him if that man had never been born. Hey, let's unpack this. I'm going to read quickly verse 26. We'll call it a day. I want you to think about this. So Jesus said it would be better for that person if he was unborn. So what situation can you imagine, can you envision where it would be better for Judas Iscariot had he never been born? So, so basically, he's going to spend eternity where? In hell. Did Judas Iscariot go to hell? Yes. Okay. I, I don't know that there's, unless the Bible tells us, because the Bible says that we're not to have unrighteous judgment, which is a, an issue of salvation, that we don't know where people go or not. When, when uh, who was the leader of the Grateful Dead? What's his name? Jerry Garcia. When Jerry Garcia died, I used to say, he ain't so gratefully dead now. For where he's going. But the reality is, I don't know. I mean, a guy who led so many people into just wickedness. And, and in the following for the Grateful Dead and Jerry Garcia and what, what he's responsible for. He could have he repented and asked Jesus in his heart on his deathbed. And I wasn't there. And though his fruit says otherwise, I don't know. You know, I have different theology about Bob Marley. I believe he did get saved on his deathbed. And Jerry Garcia, you know, but the reality is the Bible says for me and for you that, that we're not to be a judge of other people's salvation because we don't know. You don't know. You don't know what somebody did with their dying breath and that they, they were capable of getting saved at the end of their life. So you, you, you don't necessarily, can't necessarily put people in heaven or hell. But Judas Iscariot, we can unequivocally put him in hell. He, he, he went to hell. He's, one, he's unique in two people in all of human history. You know, there's kind of a couple unique people in the world. Only two people in human history that never faced physical death. There's also two people in human history that never, um, that only, that, that Judas Iscariot fits in. He's in a class of what? Only two people in human history where the devil himself will, will, will hit, enter their bodies. We have demon possessions and, and, and Satan uses his minions. But in two occasions in human history where he wants to make sure that it gets done right, Satan himself enters and does it. One is Judas Iscariot and the second one will be the, the Antichrist, which is net, yet future. Satan himself will enter the Antichrist and he will also go and stand next to, Peter, next to Judas in hell. And, and so the, each one of us are created to live forever. Whether you, know, whether you like it or not, you, when you were born... You are going to live forever and ever 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 forever. Ever, ever? Yes, ever, ever. You're going to live forever, ever. And where you live forever, ever is determined on what happens with your sins and you're in Jesus. And if God looks at you one day and he sees his son or he sees your sins. And that's why Jesus can say here, it'd be better if this guy was never born than than for him, for what's going to happen to him. Because if he was never born, he wouldn't have an eternal soul and he would just not exist. Then he wouldn't experience the pain and the hell that he's going to experience for all of eternity. And in verse 22, and I've already briefly spoke about this. So I don't have a ton of comments here, but it says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, he blessed and he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood and the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day I, when I drink of it in, in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That hymn was traditionally Psalm 118. You can mark that in your Bible. So two reading assignments as you leave today. Isaiah 53 and Psalm 118. Let's stand. We'll have the worship team come on up and close us in a song.
And as they're coming up, we would like to give everybody an opportunity and to, to receive Jesus, to get their life right with Jesus. If there's something in, in, in God's Holy Spirit spoke to you today, and, and if you've never asked Jesus in your heart, you've never surrendered, maybe you said the prayer, but it was superficial, and it was a never a full surrender of your heart and life to Jesus, and God's Spirit is calling you and drawing you this morning, then, then respond. And respond to that, that call of God to, to surrender your heart and life to Him. So I want to give you that opportunity as I pray for you. Maybe there's some of you that you are Christian, you are born again, and, and, and maybe you, you got those roller skates on and you're sliding down the hill and, and, and just backsliding. And you just want to get right with the Lord this morning and just want to say, God, I want to I serve you. I want to walk with you. I want to grow in you. And I pray that each one of us in our walks with Christ, that we're growing each week and each day of our lives. And that, that comes as we, we get to know Jesus and we find that glory through the study of his word. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to pray. Uh, for you guys and you can just pray in your heart if if you want to receive the lord jesus in your heart if you want to get right as i pray for you as i pray out loud you talk to god and god hears and god knows and there's no magic in, in, in a spoken word or in a in a prayer there is magic in one thing there's magic in a heart that's surrendered and, and that is talking to god and so as you as i pray for us you close your eyes you bow your head and you talk to god as well and agree 